Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. In this episode, Russ White, Tom Ammon, Yvonne Sharp, and Ethan Banks dig into building skills and the network engineer. Well, hello and welcome to The Hedge. Hi, Tom. I see you're back with your printer. Yes, my printer gets a lot of airtime on this show. <laughs> it really does. We're going to have to do one video shot of you with your printer just so that people know what we're talking about. And Yvonne Sharp is back with us. I don't know, two days in a row. I, I, it's great. I just can't stay away. <laughs> it is great. And today we have, yeah, it's, it's, today we have a really special guest. It's Ethan's 2800. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, is it, well, it's actually a twenty six hundred to thirty eight hundred over my shoulder here, uh, sitting sitting as a background for my video as we're seeing each other in Zoom today. I, I brought out these old soldiers I haven't run in a while, but that thirty eight hundred was a DMVPN router I had for a production environment once upon a time. It was how I got connected to the network from home, and that twenty six hundred was uh, I did a lot of things with that. It was my firewall. It was a lot of things until it just didn't have the bits per second anymore, and we had to put them away. And if you can't tell, the 2600 and the 3800 brought Ethan along for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so much for that Ethan guy. We're really just concerned about the hardware on his shelf. (laughs) (laughs) And the books. I remember watching, there was a TV show once where there was this radio guy who had built up this huge background of books. And some listener wrote in and said, I want to know what books you have. So he actually pulled the books out of the bookcase behind him. And it was a cardboard fold up of books. <laughs> like, <laughs> the producer and said, mail this to that listener. It's like, okay. That was that was weird. But okay. So today we are talking about learning the fundamentals. This is gonna be a very fundamental show. That's what that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a fundamental show. So we're gonna talk about learning the fundamentals. And I think there's a perception out there that because of automation in particular, that people just don't need to learn the the fundamentals anymore. And the second thing is that Yvonne brought up earlier is that people don't even know what the what what we mean when we say fundamentals. Ethan, start with you since you're since you have the routers behind you and, and I well, have the routers. <laughs> well, some background of this came up because I had a recording uh, with Yvonne Peplenyak and Chris Young, um, both guys that are with some history and uh, you know deep in the weeds on automation and so on. And we got into this discussion about how a lot of the newer network engineers hitting the scene seem to lack fundamentals. They might be crackerjacks with Ansible and uh, automation and making things happen happen in the cloud, but networking fundamentals, they don't actually know all that well. And, you know, the premise of that particular recording was it bugged the heck out of Chris, who was a mild-mannered Canadian, and him being agitated was hilarious. So we had that conversation, which provoked a lot of reaction that I think is worth continuing to discuss. One of the points that came back was... Why do I need to know fundamentals when so much of what's going on under the hood is abstracted away from me? Or why do I need to know fundamentals if so much of what's happening is changed or manhandled through some software-defined process and it doesn't work the way it used to? Of what value is knowing network fundamentals? And it's, it's always sad. It's like on the surface, that argument kind of makes sense, but there's still something fundam- <laughs> fundamentally wrong with that. Sorry, it wasn't a <laughs> No pun intended. Pun yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the easy answer for me is because stuff breaks, right? It's one thing if, you know, you push a config out and everything works and we go on about our merry day, but things break and just being able to automate or interact with the devices differently does not preclude all of the issues that we've had over networking, you know, since the beginning. So ultimately somebody has to fix things when they break um, and uh, backhoes exist. That might be my other answer. You know, like there is mother nature and there are things that are out of our control or hardware fails or, I mean, there, there are all kinds of reasons that at some point you got to push up your sleeves and get in there and figure out what's really going on. 
Another thing that I, that I think is that as you abstract things, um, necessarily systems become more prescriptive because the abstraction has limits. You can't abstract for every possible use case. And so when you put an abstraction on top of something, you've put boundaries around it, I believe, by def- definition. And so if you need to come back and modify the scope of what this thing is supposed to do, uh, not understanding the fundamentals might lead you to simply think that you can extend the model toward whatever scale limits or whatever um, without you know, you might think that, well, I'm good. I just add another this or I add another that. Um, and th- those limits, you, you would not even be aware of them without the fundamentals. And, and I think that abstractions leak as well, right? And if we don't understand what's going on under the hood, we don't understand those leaks when they happen or what they mean. I can look at a bunch of TCP flows synchronizing all day on my traffic speed or whatever, looking at some link. But if I don't understand how TCP works then I'm really not going to understand what is going on with that time series of information that's sitting in front of me. I'm just going to say, oh, it's an abstraction. It should just work. Well, not necessarily. Don't, don't bet on it. There's another big argument here. We're really hitting this hard for people that think they don't need to know the fundamentals. Um, but there's another big one here for me, which is your understanding of fundamentals will impact design. So let me give you an example. A friend of mine was recently involved in a fairly large diagnosis of a network that had had a series of meltdowns over over some number of months. And one of the issues was uh, the proprietary nature of this network. Is It was a lot of MLAG. A lot of MLAG was designed. Another was uh, a bad leaf spine design where leaf nodes were plugged directly into one another. Um, I know there's some use cases for that, but generally speaking, that's not something you want to do. Um, there was another problem with huge layer two domains spanning all over the place within this design, which if you're thinking about the point of leaf spine and a layer three fabric extending layer two all over the place, not using eVPN, just literally a layer two broadcast domain all over the place. We get to a point on this network where these various problems that were design issues and little projects thrown in together without any cohesive design and really a lack of understanding of how it all worked, which is what brought my friend into this environment so they could figure out what the heck was going on and how to fix it, really indicated it to me, a lack of understanding of fundamentals on the pe- on the part of the folks who really put that network together. Extending layer two all over the place across a proprietary MLAG that's part of a leaf spine that's not really a leaf spine it's uh, what happened you know what you wonder what happened and you have to think there's a fundamental lack of knowledge there that led to a design problem that was very difficult to untangle and fix because this was a production environment one of my pet peeves has become rather recently is that we over aggregate and we over summarize we want to summarize and aggregate everywhere without really thinking through what it is we're trying to get done or what the point of what we're doing is. I see lots of people who want to do lots of route aggregation and data center underlays um, on data center fabrics. And I just, you know, if you don't understand what aggregation is for and you just say, well, it's just to break up failure domains and you don't really think through what that means or not understanding what a failure domain is in the first place, then you're going to do bad design that's going to cause problems. And there almost seems like to be, to me, a a skip point where you can say, I understand how BGP works and I understand um, how to design around BGP and I understand how to automate for BGP, but I don't need to know how BGP configured, how to configure BGP. And I actually find that valid to me because that's what automation is about, is doing the the configuration work so I don't have to know how to do it. Um, So that just seems to me to be a, a thing so a oh, command syntax is tedious so if you I, I've as a younger engineer say let's go back 20 years ago I thought configuration was all that you know if I knew how to rock up to a router and type in router BGP and you know put an AS number and then start setting up neighbors that was that means I know BGP no it means I know configuration lines yeah. um, if you actually understand how BGP from a design perspective is supposed to work the configuration is merely an expression of what you've designed, and it's, in, it's incidental. It's irrelevant almost what it is. Um, sure, you need to be able to do it, but shouldn't we automate it away? The configuration is the boring part. The fundamentals, the thing that you really need to know is how it's intended to work and how to reflect your design um, into that configuration, however it's expressed. You know, it's one of the things you, you're, we could be hopeful that like intent-based networking actually achieves for us. 
Although right. that goes back to the, the, into the hands of the people who say we don't need to know fundamentals anymore, I guess. Right, yeah, exactly. So giving, giving, the, giving the devil's advocate their due of this, it does seem like if I get in a car and I drive and I'm just an average driver, I actually don't need to know how the brakes work. It's, it's only when I'm going to be a race car driver or somebody who pays attention and try to be efficient or effective, that it makes any difference. I mean, the point is, when you drive a car, you want to get in and used to be you turn the key. Remember those? Keys. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it has been. And maybe you push the clutch and put it in gear. Oh, my. I don't know. Anybody knows how to do that anymore. But, you know, nowadays, you just want to get in, push the button and turn the wheel and things just do what they want to do. So I think that the nuance here is... There are some things that used to be incredibly core to the network engineer's job that may not be so incredibly core anymore, but there are some things that are going to continue to matter. Um, and And you also have to figure out who you want to be. If you want to focus on configuration and automation and you understand that you're going to be paired with somebody who understands the fundamentals of how networks work and you consider yourself more a coder or developer, fine, you know, go go knock yourself out. You're probably going to do more than networking. You're probably also going to be designing and spinning up services in the cloud. You're going to be more application focused and all of that. And, 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 and there's a place for those folks. There's, there's a lot of work for those people to do. But if, if you're going to be the person that when packet A does not get to location Z, you've got to understand how it traverses every point it touches and how it gets from point A to B. So some of this is like introspection and who do I want to be? And there's a lot of things that people did in networking 30 years ago, like that, that I don't need to know and I've never needed to know. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've never done that. I've never done Apple talk. Right. I mean, Uh, and, and I don't really feel uh, disadvantaged. You missed out. out. Apple talk is fun. Maybe, maybe another way to say what I'm hearing when I hear you say that, Yvonne, and I totally agree with you, is maybe the, the network engineer skill set is becoming uh, disaggregated to kind of cherry pick another word. Like it used to be that the network engineer was responsible for design, for typing in configuration, for delivering that configuration to the device, for plugging in uh, physically. Like a, a lot of the people I know, they did all of that stuff um, because you can't afford, a company can't afford to hire a whole team of network engineers. I mean, generally it's a small number of people. And so these people got to do it all. Well, now things are being, I mean, there are specializations coming up. People are specializing in network automation now um, and they end up focusing on code, but then somebody still has to stay and focus on design. And I think probably what happened, my view of what happened is that engineers were saddled with so much stuff um, that design sort of went out the window to some, to some extent. I mean, it was either offloaded to the vendors or the vendor partners and, okay, well, I got to actually make this stuff happen. My company's paying me to make packets move. So I guess I'll just have the VAR do the design for me or I'll you know, use them as a resource. Now what we're seeing, I think, is that the automation piece is being peeled back. Someone else is more interested in that. Well, now you can get back into doing design and thinking about fundamentals because that's what's required to do design um and you know i don't don't know maybe that's what's happening what what do you guys think about that i think that's part of the reason we did the design certification uh the ccde was because we saw that coming down the pike now has it split as deeply as i thought it would i'm not sure at this point that it really has but but i think part of the problem here is to back up a little bit and think about what is it companies are expecting out of network engineers there used to be a sense that you needed to do all of this stuff and now we're getting the sense partially because of cloud partially because of automation partially because of the way vendors sell stuff that you just don't need to be able to do this stuff there's no value in the network it's just the network just moves bits now i I know a lot of companies don't hold that, and I know some companies do, and I actually find that view a little bit disturbing personally, because I think that, you know, when you see any part of your business as being pure commodity, what you're basically saying is you're saying, I'm not going to try to add value there. I'm not going to try to innovate there in a way that makes my business better, and uh, that just seems weird to me uh, from a business perspective. 
you want the network to be a commodity. In, in other words, ideally, uh, a friend of mine once described it as, um, you know, the network like water. It's just, just a resource. It, it flows, you dip into it. You don't have to think about it. It's just there. It works. But that's not how networking works. And the reliance of fundamentals of, uh, of Ethernet mean that design is critical. There's no loop avoidance, for example. There's no containment of failures um, you know, inherent in Ethernet in the way it works. And so design and so on can't be taken for granted. We can't just treat it like this commodity. It requires design. We, again, we want it to be that way, sure, but, uh, but it just isn't. Um, there's a couple of challenges here. One, we're talking about couple of different kinds of companies and how they treat and what they expect of their IT teams and network engineers specifically. When you have a really large enterprise, you're going to have the luxury of splitting up a lot of functions. You'll have an architecture function, an engineering function, an operations function, and lots and lots of people on each of those teams, each able to focus and fulfill specific roles. When you go the other end to more of a SMB or even most medium enterprises, those teams are much smaller and people are very much multitask and don't have the opportunity to spend a lot of time focusing down deeply. So there's an element of, I don't have time for this. There's too much I have to know and keep up with. And someone just threw Azure at me and I was just getting a handle on AWS and the Wi-Fi in the building better just work because I sure don't have time to think about that. And, and that, that's, you know, a person I think we need to sympathize with because that is, I, I think, the, actually the majority of the people that are out there, the number of very large enterprises with a, you know, a diverse set of teams, those are the cool ones we all uh, talk about and, and so on. But I don't know that that reflects the reality of a lot of what's out there. So, Tom, that reminded me when you were talking about they kind of give over the design to the VAR. Um, right, I've been in, those, been in that situation where – the you know, my boss would be like well you know we know you and we trust you ethan so fine you could do it but if you want to just give it over to the var they've always done it in the past because we didn't have anybody like you before that was able to really take on design responsibilities and they were used to that and it gave you know one throat to choke and so on and so if you do that and you are inherit a design from the var what did you just do? You just gave up that knowledge of fundamentals of how the thing works because I, in theory, you're operating a turnkey solution and you don't really need to know how it works, right? Because what are you going to do? Well, when you closed out that deal, you bought a service contract with that VAR to support this thing that they built for you on an ongoing basis. And so your knowledge of it is, it broke. I don't know. Call them. You don't call the VAR. We don't need to know. And it, it, you, we end up with this dearth of knowledge in the industry, again, about how things really work. And, and that goes back to what you were saying right near the top of the show, Yvonne. Things are going to break. And if you're trying to get back online and get the business operating again as quickly as possible, knowing how things really work really matters a lot. And if you don't actually understand what's supposed to be going on, then your mean time to recovery increases substantially. It is a business risk to not have anyone on your staff that actually understands how the system works. You got to know these fundamentals, I believe. Yeah. Well, I think also with the water example, I think what's interesting to me a lot of times is we use that example and we think, you know, the business doesn't care. The business just wants water to flow and it wants the toilets to flush and the, you know, whatever, whatever. But the problem is we're not the business. We're not even necessarily the plumbers. And we can all go back to the, you know, plumbing and pl packs and how much simpler plumbing has become in the last 10 to 15 years and how much less of a, I don't want to say less of a skill. It's a different set of skills than it used to be when you could sweat solder and then they went to screw on and, you know, everything else. And, uh, but still, nonetheless, the water system itself, the water treatment plants and everything else, those are still not a commodity. Like you just yeah, I, I think the word is not, I don't think commodity is the right word. I think what we're looking for is utility. We yeah, need something to be a utility, not a, it's not a commodity. Right. I, I would agree with that. And so I think we have to realize that regardless of where we go as a networking industry or as a networking people or whatever, we still need people who can build the water treatment plants. <laughs> you know, that's got to be there someplace. And I'm not sure that cloud is going to answer this question as much as people think it is. I think cloud is a pendulum swing and we're going to see things flight back, flow back 
more to on-premises before we're over with this swing. Um, We're already seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just thinking about something Yvonne said earlier um, about, you know, self-awareness. I think there probably are a fair number of engineers who find themselves, um, like you said, Ethan, you're like, okay, well, I gave this, my boss said, give the design to this person. So I did it. And he has my best interest at heart and and everybody wants everybody to succeed, succeed. But then you find yourself maybe a few years later, like, whoa, what did I do? Like for a couple of years, I could have been doing design if, I mean, did but I just didn't think about it. I just didn't sit down and say, what is it I actually want to do with my career? And I feel like, you know, there's probably, there's probably a fair number of engineers who are so busy and just don't take the time to, well, what do I actually want to do long-term? You know, you wouldn't give away the things you want to do long-term consciously. Right. And if you choose where you want to go, I think that's a, a really important thing to understand is how to, you know, how to climb the stack, how to go after the thing you want to go after. Yeah, and that really, like, figuring out where you want to go helps helps you focus on which technologies you want to learn and, you know, what's the next thing to investigate. I mean, I think the way most technical folks operate, you know, they have their day job and then they either fiddle with a few things when they're at home or they are fortunate enough during their day job to discover new things and you need to look for opportunities in the right direction for you and if you're in a a newer company that is mostly cloud first then and you're focused on connectivity then then you need to focus on learning bgp and knowing it really well and focusing on those layer three layer four kinds of technologies focus on securing that environment if you're in a physical environment i mean wireless is always going to matter and you're going to need to know more about layer two and spanning tree and and all of those um wonderful yet challenging technologies that that we've fought with for decades so um you just got to figure out like there's and there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer well, here's a question then, Yvonne. Um, I know I'm the guest. I'm not supposed to be asking questions, which I usually do as a host. Um, but here's the question. Do I go get my CCNA? Is that the way I learn networking fundamentals these days? So, Ethan, I'll say this first before Yvonne answers that. It's okay if you ask questions on the hedge. <laughs> <laughs> We're not as formal. Yeah, fair enough. We're less structured. <laughs> Sorry to expose you all to that inside joke. Um, Really, like I don't, I don't know. It's been it's been a long time since I've taken a CCNA exam. So, and I'm not not necessarily as familiar with with that content. I think I think there's value in it, especially if if you are brand new to the industry. I also think there's value in um, in exploring technologies beyond the Cisco stack. Look at open source networking. Look at at Cumulus. Look at other solutions. But because what happens is if you focus on one vendor, you don't have a good grasp on, you know, what is vendor specific, what's vendor neutral, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and those can be incredibly informative and instructive things to learn. If you look beyond a single vendor, I think there's value in that. Yeah, you're very much playing into my hand. So, uh, Yvonne. So, in other words, I set you up with that question, kind of hoping we, we would go down this road. So, although... He's always Cisco a step ahead. It's fine. Still, I expect um, that. <laughs> although Cisco... I, I, I like you think I'm a step ahead. Um, although Cisco is deeply, deeply entrenched in our technical colleges here in America with the Cisco Networking Academy, and many people default to that... They are far from the only game in town when it comes to learning networking and networking fundamentals. Yvonne, as you said, there is a lot of other vendors that make it fairly easy now to get into their uh, virtual devices that you can stand up in a GNS3 lab environment or whatever your lab environment is of choice or throw it up on a Linux box as an instance or a Dockerized instance of something and and work with it. Um, And then the challenge maybe becomes more in the formality of the training. How do you, you know, it's one thing to fire up a VM and now you're staring at this switch prompt on a console in front of you and you're going, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? And that's one thing that Cisco historically has always excelled at within their their training programs is providing structure where, okay, we're going to take you down the path. We're going to teach you these things and we're going to build 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 in layers uh, all of these skills. You'll start with the very basics of um, you know, framing and um, you know what a TCP packet maybe looks like and then uh, once you kind of figure all that stuff out, we're going to add 
um, at bridging. Now you need to understand bridging and now you need to understand routing. And we're going to talk about a lot of different routing protocols. And the, the formality of it and the structure of it gave you a path where you could walk and, you know, and move forward. Now, it's gotten a little daunting. Well, it's gotten a little daunting. It, I mean, the books now, even for a very basic introductory networking course, is several hundred pages long, pushing a thousand pages because the explosion of technologies that have gotten out there has gotten a, a, a bit insane because there's all these use cases that have driven the, this variety of new protocols where how as a newbie do you determine this is something I need to know and this is something I don't. So I, I think maybe there's a hole in the networking industry right now for, for something that really helps people learn learn how to focus in a vendor agnostic kind of way. So I'm not saying that that's an answer, more it's kind of an observation that it's a challenge, you know, for, for people that are trying to figure this stuff out. In the show that I referred to earlier, um, the Packet Pushers Heavy Networking show where Yvonne and Chris and I got into this discussion, the one of the common responses I got back from people uh, about that was, I'm new to this. I don't, I mean, how do I even learn the fundamentals? How do I figure out what that is and what that looks like. I, I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, and they're really struggling with that. So again, an observation. I think there's, there's a hole there maybe. Yeah. Well, I think we've built our mental map as my PhD major professor would say, we've built our mental maps a certain way and we haven't figured out how to transition those mental maps to understand what the new meaning of fundamentals are or something along those lines. And I think cloud partially blew this up because we have this big expectation that we're going to go to the cloud and all of our problems are going to go away, whatever those problems are. But the reality is they don't. We still have to do design work. We still have to do all those things that we thought we were getting away with or getting away from when we went to the cloud. All of our problems would be taken out from underneath us and abstracted away. So I think... You know, this is where we need to, right now, I think you're right, Ethan, it's an individual discipline problem. We have to build those mental maps for ourselves. Sorry, Russ, I was just thinking, but when you're first getting started, though, from when you, when you, you know, you've got 10 years experience or whatever, you can step back and say, okay, now I need to retool. And I've had that moment in my career. But when you're first getting started, the, the, the business needs practitioners at entry level, right? They need people yeah. who can be useful. And if you go having read uh, computer networking problems and solutions, for example, and you know all of those things and you, you know, you have the concepts in your mind and they're like, okay, now go configure a router or a switch. Okay, I got to do some more research. Maybe I can do it pretty quick now that I have those fundamentals, but, but you got to be hands-on useful when you're on the on-ramp, I feel like. And that's where something like a certification program may have some value. Like, okay, you can provide yeah. immediate value for your provider right now. The problem is if you stay on that track, then you end up just being a configuration monkey. And 10 years in, if all you've ever done is configure, then you know your on-ramp turned into your entire freeway. And that's, that, I think that's created a lot of problems for us. I've heard Nick Russo say that some people, um, they don't really have 10 years of experience. They have one year of experience 10 times. 10 times and yeah. you, need, you need to avoid that trap, right? And so when, when you're getting started, Tom's exactly right, that you have to, you have to accomplish the tasks you're given, accomplish them well, and, and, then, and then grow from there. The thing is, oftentimes, the, the secret is most of the time the people you work for don't really know how well you've accomplished the task. They know if the thing you've given them to do works, but they don't know whether it was done with quality or whether it was done with duct tape and bailing wire. And, well, and some of that is going to be on you, right? Go ahead, Ethan. Oh, I'm smirking, Yvonne, because it's right. They only know if it works. Well, they also know if it breaks. <laughs> so well, there's a long tail on breaking, well right? There's a long right. tail on breaking. You can hold things together for a period of time and you've built a house of cards and then a gust of wind comes along. There's reaping and sowing, right? I mean, eventually, like you pay the piper for bad design, but but that's not an immediate consequence. And so what I would say is it's on you practitioner to do the extra diligence to be sure what you're doing, you're doing in a way that's sustainable. And the challenges in a lot of small environments is you don't have anybody to help you with that. Unless you reach out to a VAR, unless you have peers online, unless you do some research, it's just the reality. 
it's hard to design for resilience if you don't understand the way things break. Right. Gosh, that is so succinctly perfect, Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's back up a little bit and talk about what these fundamentals are. We're talking about people needing to get them. And Yvonne brought this point up really early in the, the, I guess, in our show planning, (laughs) such as it is here at the Hedge. (laughs) What planning was that again? (laughs) (laughs) So what are these fundamentals? I mean, I kind of have a... I kind of have a thing I've gone off on recently, but I want to hear from everybody else first about what you what you think of this concept of fundamentals. I think there are fundamentals. I think there are a couple of areas of fundamentals. There's fundamentals of protocol operations, like how does your favorite routing protocol work? Uh, there are fundamentals of design um, that are more sort of philosophical in nature. What is a failure domain? What is a fault domain? Uh, what is, how do they interact with each other? You know, at an academic uh, abstract layer, I feel like those are fundamentals, even though they're abstract. I don't know. I guess those are the two areas that I think of right off the bat. And then you have other stuff like configuration management and, and other things like that. But I feel like if the operation of the protocols is understood and the design philosophies, the design aspect of it, I feel like you can kind of divide the world into those areas and pick any of them. And once you, once you dig into any of them at a conceptual level and start to really understand how one of them works, the whole world starts to open up to you and you start to see why I need this. I guess that's, that's how I see fundamentals. Okay. So Yvonne, what do you think of his fundamentals? Yeah. No, I mean, I I agree with everything Tom said. And um, I think there are also, if you have a particular vendor or you're in a particular environment, there are also fundamentals and quirks with that sphere. But unfortunately, we so often start there. So I think you need to back up. And if if we're going to put these in a, in a hierarchy or an order, it's, it's the more philosophical questions you need to ask first, you know, what, 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 kind of fault domain what kind of failure domain and then you go to figure out which protocols help address those questions and then you need to look at those fundamentals and then the layer below or above that depending on which direction you're going is okay how are we going to implement this in hardware and software and then what particular tools are we going to choose to do that and I think that order is important and so often we um, we jump to our vendor of choice and just say okay we need to 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 you know make x happen what thing can you sell me to get that done it's the other way around the vendor walks in the door with a cool new product and we say where could i use that (laughs) (laughs) let me invent a problem for this solution that's that I see all the time. It's, it's very, very frustrating. So, Ethan, what do you think when you hear the word fundamental? Networking to me is primarily an issue of connectivity. You're trying to deliver traffic from one point to another point, And that needs to happen always. Um, you must deliver the packets. <laughs> so fundamentally, <laughs> what we're talking about, <laughs> fundamentally, what we're talking about then, uh, I keep saying fundamentally and making that pun. Um, so when we get into network <laughs> fundamentals and in that context of connectivity, we must deliver the packets. Well, then we are talking about understanding uh, bridging and routing. Um, how does a device, when it receives a datagram of some sort, whether that's a frame or a packet, make a decision to forward it? When you look at the network from that perspective, everything else aligns, everything else falls into place. And so you really do need to understand Ethernet and broadcast domains and collision domains and VLANs. And then you need to understand uh, beyond that routing and routing protocols and and, and static routes and how a router um, rib and fib are are populated. Um, You need to grasp those things. And then the rest is almost all beyond that all the all the nerd knobs all of the things like resilience and uh you know ecmp design and how we hierarchically in some situations connect devices together and what qos is for and why we filter uh in certain places to drop packets because we actually don't want to deliver them and so on all the rest of that falls into place on top of those those primitives of of connectivity. Everything in networking is tied around Ethernet and TCP IP um, in, in, in a few different flavors. If you own that information and you understand how devices populate their forwarding tables, uh, again, all the rest aligns. But yet I have people who couldn't tell me how ARP works. 
I got people who aren't very good with uh, uh, why you would prune VLANs, you know, for example, you know, or don't even know what, what I prune, like you eat, eat those to keep yourself regular, right? Is that pruning? Do you live with VLANs? I don't know what that is. Um, and that's, to me, that <laughs> is, weekly VLAN that's a very dad joke. Um, that, <laughs> but the people that don't have that information down pat lack the foundation to understand a lot of why we do certain things in networking is done, uh, which I, I guess goes back to uh, the book we wrote, Russ, which has essentially no configuration in it at all, you know, but a lot of knowledge of you know, why certain things get done. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I've recently been really thinking through the Rena model or the Rhino model a lot harder. And so I've, I've come to the conclusion that, and no abstraction works in a hundred percent of the cases, frankly, it just doesn't, but that a good, uh, what is it? They say um, parables walk on three legs and there's an old joke about that. But anyway, really you can kind of start describing things as there are four basic problems and there are four basic solutions to every problem. If you can just name the four things, <laughs> then you, the, you often like, what is it I need to do to transport a packet, right? Look at the Rena model or the Rhino model, however you want to say it. I've got to do marshalling, I've got to do error flow control, and I've got to do multiplexing. Those are the four things I've got to do. If I look at any one of those four things, there are essentially three or four solutions for each of those problems that have ever been invented. And if you can impose a mental model on yourself to try to segment or to classify information as you receive it and see them as buckets that you're filling up yep. over time, then you can actually build your knowledge in the way Yvonne's talking about where you're not trapped in the tyranny of the immediate, but you're also not trapped in the totally theoretical, which is where Tom's you know, talking about the company needs somebody who can do something now, right? So somehow or another, I think we need to come to a way of looking at this, this issue of fundamentals in a way that helps people grow over time. And, and like you, Ethan, I'm not sure that anyone's built a course or anything that's um, – I think we made it. I think we made an attempt at it, but is it the perfect attempt or the final attempt? I don't know. You know, it, it is difficult to be abstract and have people translate the abstract into specific. So, I mean, it, Russ, if we're talking about the, the the Rena model and you explain that as a fundamental, it's very easy to say, "Oh, yeah, I kind of get that." All right, now now map that to the real world. Uh, you know, yeah. and it, it's hard, especially when you're inexperienced, to be able to do that sometimes. So there's a, there's a a, a melding that needs to be done between big ideas and concepts. And as you said, being able to map a particular problem with two or three or maybe even four different solutions and then the real world, how that actually looks to them. Um, <laughs> when you're used to staring at a configuration, stepping back and seeing the big picture can be very challenging. I think that the the reason the mapping is hard is because we just, for all the, the completely valid reasons we've talked about, it's, it's not because the task itself is hard. It's just because we haven't done it. Um, if you were to see how simple things were, I, I, I keep referring to this because I keep going back to it. This happened to me, I don't know, a while ago. I, I, I finally figured out how um, Dijkstra SPF actually works without typing in commands. Like, what does the algorithm do? And when I figured that out and I was trying to understand ISIS, and that's what kind of drove me to it. And once I understood how Dijkstra SPF worked, it was this huge light bulb for me. I was like, this is not hard. This is the same thing for me with spanning tree way back in the day when I finally felt like I had grasped it. I was like, why did I struggle with this for so long? It's so easy. It's so easy. But, it, but getting to the point where I thought it was easy. And then once I did that, and once I had a few of those, I'm like, I can, I can figure out any challenge. I can, I can do this. Um, but it, but it took some time. And, but when you're, when you're stuck in the world where there's so much to do and, and, and the vendor does all the thinking for you and all the mapping for you, you just haven't been in that space. And that's kind of what makes it hard. I think. But you, you just what? reminded me of something that I think is really important for people that are, are struggling to learn. You need to have the discipline to dig into something. And then when you get it, you get it. And it's funny how much knowledge you get compressed into a very short disciplined amount of time. You sat and focused on SPF and all of a sudden you own that information. And now it's like, wow, the light bulb came on. And this isn't even hard. It's so much of that uh, for me, like, like this year, I've been working on Kubernetes and understanding Kubernetes and how it works. I'm still early in those studies. I got another week of 
study dedicated uh, coming up here to dig in more deeply. But just in the beginning, it's like all of this stuff that seemed obtuse and confusing to me, their terminology and how it works, just devoting some time to studying. It's like, oh, this is actually easy. It's not, it's not that complicated. And, and, and you pick up, in a, again, this very shortened and compressed window, an enormous amount of knowledge and understanding that you can uh, springboard from and learn other things because you've put the time in to make it happen. But a lot of folks don't have the time or just won't make the time to sit in a focused way to own some chunk of information that could be instrumental to their understanding of other things and, and, and open a door, uh, like a gateway you go through. It's like, ah, now I can see the green field with the unicorns, the lollipops. <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm here. Finally, I'm here. <laughs> well, and I think, so what do you do when you decide to sit down and focus and solve those problems? Or it, we've all had times when we brush shoulders with somebody and we're like, that person gets things I don't right and you have maybe maybe you've had a VAR come in and there's an engineer that's like whoa that guy or girl they really get it I think what we can do too in those times use this simple concept of the five whys you know like if, if they're talking about something and you don't get it first of all it's okay that you don't get it um, just uh, so why did we do it that way and then they answer that question and it's like well why did we do it that way just keep asking why until you get to the bottom and you can do that with a person or you can do that with your own personal research if if there's a validated design for a particular technology that you want to understand look at it and ask why <laughs> and then ask why and then ask why again now sometimes you'll do that and you'll get to the bottom and there's nothing there and you'll realize somebody's trying to sell you something that's good too right <laughs> like you you have to dig in and, and but you know if you're an individual of reasonable intelligence and most of us who do this are like you can understand it and you just need to keep asking why and make it make sense to you and if it doesn't either keep digging or eventually you come to the conclusion this doesn't make any sense and and i've done that with a few technologies where i'm like yeah i'm not going to buy into that one because ultimately i think it's a house of cards and maybe i'm wrong and maybe a few years later i go oh there's this thing i didn't understand or i'm like yeah everybody rushed to that now they're rushing away because it doesn't really work so the why is isn't the, the why is super critical for understanding. I love that point, um, but there's another added benefit of it. If you get in the habit of asking why, you can connect this knowledge of whatever it is you you dug deep into using the five whys. When it's time to fix something that's broken, and now you'll ask the question, why is it broken? And you will know. It will not be a guessing game, um, or at least you'll narrow in on your op options much faster. And you know, asking the whys in the learning phase when you when the house is not on fire um, helps you build the fundamentals. But when the house is on fire, it helps you find resolution and connect your knowledge to the real thing. I, I think that's the bridge between yeah. troubleshooting and, and the fundamentals. Yeah. So, so I want to go back to your SPF example real quick there, Tom, because I think that's an interesting no. example, understanding how it works. <laughs> when I encounter people who run large scale networks with, that run Dijkstra one way or the other, they often think the best thing I can do is to shut Dijkstra down by aggregating and summarizing. Building more flooding, you know, building more flooding domain boundaries, stopping this thing from doing what it's doing. And the same thing with the edge ERP, right? My entire design goal with an edge ERP network is to, is to squash the query domain. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to do, right? And then you think, well, but now what I'm actually doing is I'm actually stopping the protocol from doing what it's meant to do in some sense. Understanding how SPF works can help me understand where it's rational to place failure domain boundaries or flooding domain boundaries and where it's not, where I should just let the protocol do what it's going to do and understand when I'm looking at something, should I actually see that piece of information over here or shouldn't I? Because now I understand SPF itself so I can understand why those flooding domain boundaries happen. So I'm just trying to make the connection there a little bit between what you said about understanding how, OS, how SPF works or why SPF works the way it does to the practical pieces again, right? This is not impractical knowledge. This is real right. knowledge you can apply in the real world um, to do things that you need to do. It does meet the road. It is where the rubber meets the road in many cases. 
that just, to me, that is a great way to make that case that I have never, because the one thing I've struggled with in some places I've worked is to justify the return to fundamentals and the, the design mindset to say, wait a minute, let's look at the problem we're actually trying to solve and let's place failure domains and let's do these things. And I've always struggled, uh, in my mind, it's pretty clear why you would start a, a conversation that way. But to other people, it's just, it's just not clear. And what you just did with connecting those two, I think is really, um, I think that's really key. Yeah, well, I think like the perennial case is using BGP in a data center fabric and then using AS path filters and fancy AS path stuff to convert it to RIP. And every time I see somebody do this, I'm just like, I just want to lie on the floor laughing. It's like, but yeah, it's the only way to make BGP converge really fast in a five-stage fabric. But then if you're actually doing that, then maybe you should rethink using BGP. I don't know. You know, it's just like, yeah. if you understand how the protocol is designed to work and you're taking, out of its re- it's ta- you're taking it out of the realm of the way it's supposed to work, maybe you're not using the right tool. Right. This is another point right. where knowing why can help you make a design decision. So I just think, you know, we need to figure out how to make those cases, those connections more common or more understood. Well, so. it does sound like we all agree that um, if you don't know fundamentals, you're, you're leaving a critical hole in your knowledge. That is, that is for sure. It's, it's a trade-off for us, as you like to say. Um, giving up fundamentals, maybe that does leave you more time to work on other things, and maybe you're a generalist, and that's kind of what you need and so on. But the trade-off is when it breaks, you don't know what broke, really, and you're probably going to struggle to get it fixed yourself. And when it um, is designed badly because you didn't really think much about resiliency because you don't really understand how it works, well, then, you know, your business is at risk. Um, There are trade-offs, for sure, if you choose not to learn networking fundamentals. But, you know, maybe maybe it's the right trade-off for you to to not learn, (laughs) although it hurts me to say that. I don't know. But that is is a a case to be made for that, I guess. But I think what I would say is just make those decisions eyes wide open, right? Don't, um, yeah, don't, yeah. Make make them make them intentionally, right? If you're gonna make a trade, know the trade that you're making, and and that's okay. Like you know, I'm you know, no judgment, right? But you you got to figure out where you want to go, um, and then make those decisions intentionally. Don't don't let the tyranny of the immediate make those decisions for you. I think in the industry right now, we've got a really positive thing going on. We've got a lot of people who are network engineers who are starting to really uh, dig into automation and development and they're liking it. And like people I've talked to say they love development because they get to finally create something. They don't have to sit inside this box that the vendor handed them and they, they just love the creative aspect of it. The positive thing that I think is happening is that these people who have years, sometimes decades of hands-on experience running networks are becoming developers now. That's only positive for the industry. They'll, they'll go further and further into development and they'll be able to have conversations with people who want to think about how packets flow and want to think about um, design concepts. I, I think that's a, a really great thing. Um, I think that's really good for all of us. I want someone with lots of experience to be the one who's doing the programming as opposed to, you know, the new person who thinks Ansible's cool, you know, or trying to write some kind of, you know, complex automation process when they don't know fundamentals. In other words, I agree exactly with what you're saying, Tom. In fact, I'm one of those people that's been having fun creating things and writing uh, some automation scripts that do things for me. Some of them networking related and some of them not. I have, you know, running my little business, I have reasons to automate certain things that, uh, Writing a script that gives me a bunch of statistics of metrics that I follow is very, very a huge time saver as opposed to click, 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 click. There's the screen I need and then copy pasting metrics. Oh my word, writing a script that just gathers all those stats for me, incredibly empowering. And it's a thing that I, uh, I created a huge time saver. Um, but, you know, network uh, stuff as well, of course. But I don't want the newbie to be the one who's, doing that automation creation and, and so on. I want the person who deeply understands the network to be doing that because automation is a tool that allows you to make the network do what it's supposed to do as opposed to you doing it by hand. Um, if you don't know how to do it by hand, how in the heck are you supposed to automate it? It reminds me of being in fourth grade and one of our exercises was this, this thought exercise. I don't know if it was tied to science class or what it was, but our teacher said, ago. write the script, write 
all the steps required to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, you know, the idea was you got to, you know, unscrew the top from the jar and you got to get out a knife and you've got to say which end of the knife you're holding and, you know, and on and on and on. And the teacher would, uh, at the end of this, as we all wrote our descriptions, would in, in comic fashion say, well, oh, if we followed these instructions, we would have ended up with the peanut butter and jelly on the outside. Ha, ha, ha. The kids laugh and so on. But the point of it was to deeply understand all the details required to successfully make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And only with experience do you actually know that and can articulate that well. Uh, and so the, you know, the metaphor here for networking, only if you've got the experience, you know the fundamentals very well, should you be in the business of writing automation workflows and so on, in my opinion. Well, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on our mind. <laughs> I think we can wrap up there. I think this was a good, really good conversation uh, about just networking fundamentals and how important it is and stuff like that. So, Yvonne, any final words before we cut your mic? And <laughs> No, I think it's a great conversation. I mean, I think my theme I've said a couple times, you know, figure out where you want to go and, and where you want to focus and then what are the things that you need to know to continue to bring value that are, that have longevity that aren't in a particular vendor or a particular cloud or a particular spot but how can you start there grow your knowledge and then be able to transfer those concepts you know when we take another big technology technology swing in the next five or ten years because we will yeah oh yeah we will we will and Yvonne you're out on Twitter right Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network. I'm also on LinkedIn, but Twitter is probably the best place to get me. Okay, cool. And Tom, any final words before we cut your printer off? <laughs> oh, my printer gets airtime and it gets cut off. Nice. Uh, I'm on. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Tom Ammon and LinkedIn. And before you say it, no, the blog post is not published yet. <laughs> the <Yeah>. blog post. <laughs> The one and only. <laughs> and Ethan, everybody can find you at Packet Pushers. We all know that. Do we need to say anything else? <laughs> Packet Pushers, uh, PacketPushers.net, right? If you go there, you'll find me on Heavy Networking and on Day 2 Cloud, where I host shows uh, weekly uh, there. Uh, I'm at EthanCBanks.com and on Twitter at ECBanks. You can find the rest. I'm up on YouTube as well. I've started a live streaming channel on Twitch. I have a hard time shutting up, apparently. He's everywhere. That's, that's the bottom line. Ethan is everywhere. Just walk out of your win, walk out of your door. You'll find Ethan. That's that's the or look out your windows. All right, good. So you can always find the hedge at Rule Eleven Tech, and you can find me on LinkedIn and Russ White. And thanks for joining us. <laughs>